Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. If you've got your Bibles, let's have our Bibles open to uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. That's where we're going to be tonight, 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm going to share God's Word with you here for a little bit, and uh, trust God will speak to each one of our hearts. And uh, really, that's the heart of why we do uh, any kind of teen activities. So it's fun. It's fun to get together with a youth group, and uh, it's fun to fun to play games and all that stuff's wonderful. Uh, but the heart of pastors, the heart of your youth workers, is that you might be impacted by God's word. And uh, so, if you'll be attentive here for the next little bit, I'm going to preach to you, and uh, we're excited to be here. It's my first year here, but I think this has been going for five years. It's the fifth year, I think. How many of you have been here all five years of the youth conference? I see one hand. How many have been here? Oh, there's another hand. How many have been here four years of the youth conference? A couple more hands. How many have been three years of the youth conference? Oh, a few more. We're getting. How many have been two years of the youth conference? And how many of this is your first time? That'd be my whole group. First time. Awesome. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, great. We want to encourage this kind of stuff all across our great state, and we're sure glad that you're here. All right. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 18 is where we are. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse number 17. I'm going to ask you just to follow along as I read a couple of verses. Then I'm going to have a word of prayer and we'll jump right into the message tonight. And I don't intend to be terribly long, but I want to share God's word with you and be an encouragement to you. 1 Kings chapter 18, notice verse 17 with me. The Bible says, And it it came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel to Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the groves four hundred, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people, and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, we, uh, we re- regard that uh, no, no human being can really do a tremendous work of God. And to think about the work that needs to be done in the hearts of these young people tonight. Lord, many of them I don't know. A few of them I do. God, you know every one of them intimately. And you said you know their thoughts from afar. And God, I pray that you would speak to each of their hearts tonight. I pray that there wouldn't be one heart unstirred by the power of your word tonight. I pray you'd empty myself of me and fill me with your, your power and your spirit. God, strengthen the work of the Word of God in the hearts of these young people. And Lord, I'm certain that maybe in a group this size, there's somebody who's just not quite made their mind up whether they're going to live for God or not. Lord, I pray that you'd use my humble efforts tonight and that you'd speak to their hearts. That God, you'd commit to them and help them to commit to be dedicated unto you. I pray, God, that they would leave off the things of this world and that they'd take on the things of eternity. Lord, we need young people today who are fervent and on fire for you, who know you, who walk with you, and who'd serve you with their whole life. Lord, I pray that somehow that in the, in the next few minutes that you'll, you'll use me to be able to speak to their hearts, and that, God, you would use your word to really do the great work. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You're probably familiar with the story, 1 Kings chapter 18, when Elisha gets on the Mount Carmel, and, uh, and Elijah, uh, he calls out the 450 prophets of Baal, and King Ahab and Jezebel, those wicked people, and, uh, of course, he has a battle with them about who is the real God. But he gives a charge here tonight that I'd like to give you here at this youth conference. This charge, this, that uh, if the Lord is God, follow Him. If you've got some other God, then follow them. 
There are far too many young people in our churches who've, gone, who've grown up in our nurseries, who've gone to our Sunday school classes, who've been in our junior churches, who sit in our youth groups, who have not made their mind up about whether or not they'll live for God or not. And Elijah gets to a point here in the ministry in, 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 in the northern part of Israel here, he's just, he's frustrated. He's like, I'm the only prophet left. Now, he wasn't the only one left. He just, he was the only outspoken prophet left for God. But he said, I'm the, I'm the only prophet left of God here. And he said, if Baal is God, then go ahead and serve him. But if the Lord is God, then let's, let's choose who you're going to serve. How long halt ye between two opinions? Well, a lot of kids, probably a few sitting here tonight, that are halting between two opinions of what they're going to do with their life. Now, understandably, you've got one life to live. Nobody wants to choose the wrong course for their life. If, if there is no God in heaven, if, if, the, if the, the old King James Bible isn't true, and if, if, if we're not going to answer to God someday, then no one wants to throw their life away serving God in a church and doing all these, if God's not real. You want to spend your life on fun things and entertainment and enjoyable things if there is no God. But if there's a God, if there's a God and He did write this Bible, and if someday you're going to stand before Him, you don't want to be at the end of your life looking that God in the eyeball as you stand before His throne, having thrown your life away for things that don't matter. So how long halt ye between two opinions? I want to say this, doesn't matter whether you're a senior here today, and, uh, and you're looking at maybe college and life and, and, and hopefully at some point marriage and children, and you're right on the cusp of leaving mom and dad's home, or whether you're one of the youngest people here today, you've got a decision to make today of how long you're going to halt between these two opinions, how long you're going to wait before you decide whether or not you're going to live for God. Matthew chapter 6, Christ is on the Sermon on the Mount, and He says in verse number 46, uh, or I'm sorry, verse 24, he says, no man can serve two masters. Either you love the one and despise the other, else he'll hold to the one and reject the other. You cannot serve God and man, and you can't, and you won't be the first. You won't be the first boy to ever figure out how to both keep one foot in church and have one foot in the world. You won't be the first young lady who figures out the way that you can manage a life here in the world and do all the fun things that you want in this world and a life that honors God as well. You're going to have to pick one or the other. How long halt ye between two opinions? If this was important to Elijah on Mount Carmel and it was important to, to Christ uh, on, on the Sermon on the Mount, then it's important for us on this little mount that we stand on today, our lives and our moment, to decide who we're going to serve. Now, I love the story and we won't have the time really to get all the way into the story of Elijah. Uh, but Elijah leaves out this challenge to the people of God. He said, if God is God, if the Lord be God, then follow Him. If Baal is God, then follow Him. And notice that the people, in verse 21, the people answered Him not a word. They truly were absolutely undecided. It would have been wonderful if there was a man there on that hillside that day that when Elijah said, if, if the Lord be God, follow him, and if Baal is God, follow him, wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody just had enough brass in them to stand up and say, I believe in God. I just want to identify right now that if nobody else believes in God, I believe in God. Don't you wish somebody would have stood up on the hillside, but the Bible said they answered him not a word. You know why? Because they were divided in their heart. Oftentimes, the reason why people don't want to say an amen in church is because it identifies them. Let me just say, I don't, I don't have a problem with an amen. I don't even have a problem with an oh me. <laughs> but a lot of people don't want to out, out and out identify themselves as being, being uh, for the Lord. They, don't want to, they want to kind of stay in the shadows. They want to stay off in the distance. And they want to stay 
quiet and hidden. They don't want to stand out for God. Well, I'm challenging you today to stand out for God. Do something with your life. And by the way, I I, I wish I could promise you that you get 70 years and then this life is over. I I can't promise you you'll get 70 years in this life. I wish I could promise you you'll get at least 50 years uh, before your life is over. I can't promise you just 50 years. I wish I could promise you you'll get at least a base level of 30 or 20 years here on this life uh, before it's over. I can't promise you that. I've lost friends uh, young as 12. When I was 12 years old, my, my closest friend in life, passed out into eternity with an accident, and, uh, and his life was over at 12 years old. And thank God that he had a great Christian testimony and loved the Bible and loved God and had a good stand for God in those 12 short years that he had. I can't promise you that you've got more years to live for God, but I can tell you you got tonight to live for God. And it's high time for you to make a decision who you're going to serve. And really, there's only two choices on the shelf according to God. You're going to please God with your life or you're going to please yourself with your life. And far too many young people are standing in this balance trying to ride the fence, trying both to be able to be a good Christian and as well to be able to identify with the world and keep up on all their movies and all their music and all their fads and all their styles. And I'm telling you right now, God will not put up with that kind of a Christian. He will not put up with it. You're going to choose this side of the fence or you're going to choose that side of the fence, but you won't ride the fence with God. You won't ride the fence with God. I find... That in Christians' lives, and this has been for a long time, there are typically about three things that that cause them to to sort of waver when it comes time to choose God or choose the world. To waver whether or not they're going to go all out and out for God or whether they're going to go all out and out for the world. And this was true of the people in Elisha's day. They stood there watching to see what would happen. And Elijah said in verse 22 unto the people, he said, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Oh, I want to say this. Just because the world's crowd might be bigger doesn't mean the world's crowd is right. Just because they might be able to have more people that go to their movies and more people that watch their, uh, that listen to their music and more people that, that go to their entertainment doesn't mean that they're right. Say, well, there's so many people doing it, they must be right. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. You're right when you stand for God. That's when you're right. Boy, 450 prophets of Baal. You know where they ate their meals? Right at Jezebel's table. They had money. They had power. They had position. They had notoriety. Uh, You know who fed Elijah? God. Sometimes with ravens. uh, Sometimes with widows. But God would provide for his own man. Uh, These these men, these 450 sellouts had identified with Jezebel, and they took, they took food from her table. And, and they were paid well, I guarantee you. They probably had nicer clothes than Prophet Elijah. They probably had nicer houses than Prophet Elijah. But they didn't have a better God than Elijah. And Elijah was about to call him out on that. I want to say to you pastors and youth pastors, if we're going to step into the realm of entertainment to keep our young people and try to win them and keep them in our churches, we're going to lose hands down every time with the world. Their graphics are better, their music is better, more entertaining and more fun than what we're going to provide for them. But one place the world can't contend with us is the power of God. And oftentimes our churches lack the power of God because we don't spend time in prayer. We don't spend time dependent on God. We don't know how to call down fire from heaven as it were and have God show up in our churches. Our young people will do right if they see some older people who show them that we have a God who answers prayer, who is alive and real today. They're not, they're not going to waver from that. If you'll show them truth, you train up a child in the way he should go and he won't depart from it if he can see a real and true God. 
Let me say this, a couple things, and if you're taking notes, you can take these, this first note in the message tonight. And one of the things that will keep young people and keep people in general from wavering in this matter of who they're going to choose, it causes them to halt in whether or not they're going to live for God or live for the devil, and that's their finances. Did you know the God Baal was the God of weather? People who worshipped Baal felt that they could get some kind of an in for rain to come from the sky on their crops. Do you know what rain from the sky in your crops meant in Israel in this day and age? Money. It meant fatter sheep, bigger cows, larger quarter pounders, and uh, everything else. I mean, it just, it meant money. Boy, if you could get Baal to rain on your land, that was money in your hand. And for the children of Israel at this point, they have grown so distant from God. It's been so long since they've heard from God. So long since they recognized that everything they have came from God. They were wanderers in a wilderness. And God gave them houses to live in they didn't build. And vineyards to eat from they didn't plant. And back then they knew a God. But now generations later, they had forgotten that God. And they were looking for somebody they could manipulate financially. And they worshipped Baal. Oh, Baal! Hear us! And they'd cry out to him to rain on their land and on their crops because he could control the weather. And they thought if they make sacrifices to Baal, if they serve Baal, if they honor his, his, uh, his servants or, or his priests, then, then they could access rain from the sky. And Elijah said, hey, i got something better to show you than rain from the sky. I'm going to show you fire from the sky. <laughs> he said, in fact, you, you go ahead and take you a bullock and Lay it on pieces of wood and build your own altar there. And, and I'll do the same. I'll have a bullock and I'll lay out the wood and build an altar and put my bullock, bullock there. And, and the God that answers by fire, let him be the God. If Baal can answer by fire and Jehovah cannot, then we'll all worship Baal because he's the true God. And the people say, oh, that sounds, that sounds good. This is going to be entertaining. <laughs> Let's see what goes on. And well, they'll give Baal and his prophets a chance first. And so out they come. Now remember, they're supposed to have a God who they can call stuff from the sky down when they need it. And so they begin to cry out to Baal. And they begin to, to, to ask him to burn the, the, burn the altar and consume the sacrifice. Uh, but, but the Bible says, while they called, no one answered. That's because there was no one there to answer. The phone line wasn't down. There was no phone line there. How many... Baal, hear us. And I, I, love, I love Elijah's attitude here. He said, uh, hey, maybe you need to cry louder. Maybe he's on vacation. Or maybe somehow he's falling asleep. And he got them guys so worked up into a frenzy, they begin to jump on the altar. I don't know if they were hoping the rocks would knock together and put a spark down in there and get their fire going. I don't know what they were doing jumping on the altar. But they begin jumping all around. And there's a lot of excitement sometimes in false religion. But no power. And uh, boy, they begin to sacrifice their own bodies. The Bible says they took their lances and their knives and they begin to cut themselves. By the way, uh, cutting has been around a long time in demonic worship. And, and uh, they begin to cut themselves so the blood flowed out as though they could get Baal to feel sorry for them. But God's sitting upon the circle of the earth. He said, I'm the Lord. It's me alone. And I've looked and there's not another. <laughs> there's no other God but me. Hast thou not heard? Hast thou not known that the Lord, the everlasting God, He is the God and there's no one else beside Him. And they begin to cry out to a God who was not there. He had ears, but He couldn't hear. He had eyes, but He couldn't, he, he couldn't see. And they called all the way to the evening sacrifice. And Elijah said, enough of that. And he went back. And you know what he did? He, boy, there's a whole sermon we could preach here. But he rebuilt the altar that had been broken down. You know, an altar is a place of worship and sacrifice and praise and prayer. 
And oftentimes in our young, young people and in our youth group, there's an altar that's been broken down in your life. And that's why you're halting between whether you're going to live for God or live for the world. God can answer your prayers. God can meet you in a very real way. God can honor your sacrifice. God can honor your life. But when you let that altar get broken down through long misuse or no use at all because you're not praying and you're not reading your Bible and you're not serving God and you've laid no sacrifice on that altar, it'll begin to break down. And he began to rebuild it out of the 12 stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. He, he, he called back to an heritage of righteousness. Now remember, Israel is separated from Judah at this point. There's 10 tribes to the north and two tribes to the south that are separate nations. But he hearkens back to a day when they were right with God. I want to ask you this, young people. Was there ever a day in your life when you were closer to God than you are right now? You need to rebuild the altar if that's so. You need to spend some time in your Bible. You need to spend some time on your knees. You need to spend some time in sacrifice. When's the last time you sacrificed for God? One of the greatest flaws of our modern day youth groups is that it's all about them and not about God. It's all about what can we do to entertain the kids and keep them happy. And I'm not opposed to having fun. It was great to watch you guys have fun tonight. But sometimes we get distracted and we young people begin to think that life's all about us when life's all supposed to be about Him. When's the last time you sacrificed for God? When's the last time you taught somebody in a Sunday school class or helped out around the church or went and said to pastor, pastor, what can I do around church? What can I do to make a sacrifice? What can I do to help give towards the missions? You're young people, but you can do that kind of stuff. You can do that kind of stuff. Jeremiah was a youth. Many others were youths, but they still did great things for God. Let me just say here that finances oftentimes keep people in a, in a, in a spot where they have expectation from the world. They're look, they're wait, 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 wait. I don't want to make my choice yet. Well, I don't, I'm not ready to pull the trigger on this thing yet. I'm still waiting to see what the world's got to offer me. Let me tell you something. The world and the God of this world can offer you all kinds of pleasures and funds, but He can never deliver on His promises. He can only bring hardship and heartache and loss. He'll promise you the world. But brother, by the time you figure out that He can't deliver what He promised, it's far too late for many. Many times, young people are just sort of halting between two opinions. Am I going to live for God? Am I going to live for myself? Am I going to live for God? Am I going to live for the, the possessions? Oh, but I could go work a job and make lots of money. As though that's the most noble thing to do in this world. I'm going to say something to you young men. You ought to work hard. I grew up in the country where we bailed hay and we worked on the farm and cut wood and worked with our hands. And I think you ought to be a hard worker. I think it's noble to work. I think it's noble to have a job. I think it's noble to save money. I think it's noble to be prepared for life. I think that's a good thing. You ought to know how to have some calluses on your hands. And you young ladies ought to have some dignity and character about you too and know how to work as well and get jobs done and, and clean things up around the house and be a, be a help to the house that God's put you in. I think those things are all noble. But if you live your life just to gain possessions in this world, you've lost what this whole world's all about. God didn't put you here to get the more money than everybody else. God didn't put you here to have more possessions than everybody else. God put you on this earth to serve Him. Amen. And it is a gross neglect to breathe His air, to eat His food, to drink His water, to walk on His good earth, and never sacrifice for that same God who sacrificed so much for you. Oftentimes there's young people that are wavering in their life whether they're going to live for God or whether they're going to live for themselves. And it's because of finances and they think they could make more money for, from the world than what God can do. Do you know who made this world? Do you know who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Nay, do you know who owns the hills that the cattle are on? 
Do you know who owns the gold that's in those hills? It's the God of the, old, the whole universe. And brother, you got bigger things to deal with than a bank account. The bank account can't last very long, but your, your heavenly account can last for eternity. And so what did Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount? Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through nor steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. What he's saying isn't, isn't don't have a savings account and don't set aside a little bit of money for retirement when you get older. What he's saying is don't make your treasures, your greatest possessions, the things of this world, hold them loosely and work for God while you have time. Because you don't know how much time you have in this world. But you can live for God. You can do something great for God. Elijah was one man against 450. And he had enough brass in him to stand up and say, I'll call on a God who can hear and answer. He rebuilt the altar. He, he, cut the, he laid the wood in order. And he, he cut the ox up and he put it on its, in its order on, on the sacrifice. And he dug a trench around it that would contain about two measures of seed. And, uh, and he, he called for them to bring barrels of water. And they poured four barrels of water on it. He said, do it again. And they poured it again. And he did do it again. And they did it again. Now some modern day science uh, magazine tried to say that, that Elijah was pulling a fast one on them. And was actually pouring some kind of a crude fuel oil on that. And they thought it was water. Water, but the Bible says it was water. I believe it was water. And he soaked the sacrifice until he filled the trench. And then he turned to God and prayed a 25-word prayer. Let me say something. Your prayers aren't powerful because of how long they are. Your prayers aren't powerful because of how beautiful they are. Your prayers are powerful when they depend on a God who alone can heal. When you, when you realize, by the way, all true prayer is telling God, I can't, but you can. And he just simply called on God. He said, God, I'm, I'm just calling out to you to do something great. And, and he didn't even specifically ask for fire. But down from heaven came the fire of God and it consumed the, the sacrifice and the wood and licked up the water in the trench. I mean, God came down in a very real that day that day. And the people of Israel fell on their face and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. <laughs> Would God we had an Elijah today. God, we had some men of God who'd stand up against the whole world and say, if only one man will stand up for God, I'll stand up for him. If only one man knows how to call out to God and get a hold of the fire of heaven, then I'll be that man. If everybody else would mock me and laugh at me and think I'm silly for, for taking a stand for God, for the way I dress and the way I talk and the things that I don't know, I'm going to stand up and identify for God. And, uh, and I think oftentimes young people are looking to the world thinking the world is going to give them better things than what they can, they can be provided for of God. But what's great about being a servant of God is you don't have to possess the things and God makes all things readily available to you. You preachers in here tonight can testify God's fed us well. You preachers in here can testify God's housed us and clothed us and provided all we need. And what do you need, what do you need more for? Excess means what? That you get to look at it, Solomon said. When riches increase, they increase mouths that eat it all. <laughs> I mean, Solomon, if you ever looked at what he got daily, the guy was wealthy. The amount of wheat and, 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 and oxen and, and goats and sheep and milk and cheese and gold that came to Solomon daily. And you know what he said? All it's good for, I get to see it go by. As all my thousand women in my life eat it up. They had a thousand women in his life. And he said, it does nothing for me. I mean, it's mine and they're mine, but I just watch it go and in it comes and out it goes. What, what difference does it make? God can, God can make you live like a king. But you know, I've seen some people in the world who had all the wealth could 
all the wealth the world could afford, more money than they could spend, and they were some of the most miserable people on the face of the earth. Psalmist, I'll tell you what's an evil. A person who has the power to have all this money, but he can't enjoy it. A person has access to all this food, but he can't taste it. I've seen people with incredible wealth that were miserable people. Can I just tell you that finances is not a good reason to throw your eternity away? Well, but the world can give me so much. How long can he give it to you? Just a lifetime that God's promised you is like a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. What can God give you? Pleasures forevermore. Are you really willing to sacrifice pleasures for eternity for the silly pleasures of this world? For money? For money? Finances oftentimes will distract young people and they'll not do everything they could for God. Let me give you another one. Uh, flesh, and, the, and specifically what I'm talking about is the lust of the flesh, oftentimes distract people. You know the children of Israel not only struggled with a God called Baal, but they struggled with a God called Ashtaroth. She was the goddess of fertility. And the worship of Ashtaroth was immoral, ungodly, vile affections of the flesh. And oftentimes young people especially in this culture, with these devices. Struggle with the flesh. And oftentimes it makes them halt between two opinions. Boy, if I live for God, I'm not, God's going to expect me to be moral, and He will. He'll expect you to speak morally. He'll expect you to act morally. He'll expect you what you see and what you listen to to be moral. He'll expect that the people that you interact with will be moral interactions. God will expect those things. By the way, it's far better to live a moral life and at the end of your life not have a bunch of regrets and sorrow because of doors that you've opened up that you can never close than to open up all the desires of the flesh of your body and expose yourself to all the filth of this world and lay there in regret saying, boy, I wish I'd have never done that. I've preached long enough. I've counseled enough people. I've seen enough wrecks to tell you that young people, if you give your life to the desires and the lust of the flesh, you will sorrow, you will sorrow, you will sorrow for that. But if you give yourself to God, you, you, don't have to, you don't have to sorrow over that. Do you know when I stood, when I stood at a marriage altar and my pastor stood there beside me and my sweet soon wife-to-be and we took hands in front of everybody, do you know, do you know we had never held each other's hands until that moment? Never had. And when the, when the pastor finally got done with the vows and he said, you may kiss your bride, which is a silly statement to make in most weddings today. They've been kissing all over her for months and years. When he said, you may kiss your bride, that was the first time outside of having to kiss my sisters and my mother. That was the first time I kissed a woman. And that was the first time she had kissed a guy outside of her dad. You know, we don't regret that. I don't have in my mind a bunch of other girls that I was touching and kissing and had my hands all over. I don't have regrets. I don't have regrets saying, boy, well, I messed that up. Boy, I lived bad there. Boy, I'm embarrassed about that. I don't have any of those in my life. You know, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Well, the whole 450 prophets of Baal will laugh at you because you're a prude. Let me tell you something. God stands up and honors a young lady who'll keep herself pure. A, a young lady who will honor herself will be honored by the Lord. And a young man who will honor that young lady that he cares about. And this silly stuff of, if you, if you love me, you'd let me touch you. No, if he loved you, he'd keep his hands off of you. Let's understand that true. 
So oftentimes young people will waver whether they're going to live for God because the, the promise of finances sometimes is because of the pleasures of the flesh, the lust of the flesh that they desire. He said, uh, 1 John chapter 2, in verse number 14, he said, uh, What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Hmm? All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father. I don't, that stuff doesn't come from God. God's not giving, God's not, God didn't make this world so you can be a vile, wretched, all, all this music industry is vile. It's demonic. It's evil. It's trying to catch your ear because it has a greater purpose for you than you just listening to their music. I don't want you just to listen to their tunes and buy their music. There's a demonic influence behind it that wants to corrupt you and ruin you. And you know why? Because when Satan looks at you, you are created in the image of God. And all the hatred he has for God, he wants to spill out on you. And every young lady he can ruin. Have you seen these young ladies, beautiful young ladies, who all of a sudden come into a gender identity crisis? Whack their hair off. All kinds of ungodly stuff they do to their bodies and they look hideous. Do you remember what Satan did to Jesus when he got access to his body? Do you remember? Remember they talked about crucifying him? But the Bible uses a phrase that said his visage was more marred than any man. That was the hatred and vitriol of demonic influence on our precious Savior. And it marred him to the point that you could hardly recognize him as human being. Let me tell you something. What the devil's doing through drugs and through this gender identity crisis is marring the image that he sees of God in you. God created you that way. God created you that way. He formed you in your mother's womb. He picked your ears even though you don't like them. You think your nose is too big, but he chose that for you. That's what God chose. And you can rest in the fact that God loves you the way He made you, or you can give yourself to the lust of the flesh of this world, and you can sorrow and regret at the end of your life, saying, man, if I made a mess of what God gave me. I'm simply trying to say, kids, who, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? Last, I'm going to close with this. Much more we could say. But there was another thing that influenced the children of Israel back in that day, not only the god Baal and the god Ashtaroth, but the Canaanites themselves. The Bible says they became a snare unto the children of Israel. They gave their sons unto their daughters and they took their daughters for their sons and they intermarried with the Canaanites and they begin to mix with them and they begin to associate with them. And let me just say this, young people, oftentimes what will keep young people from struggling whether or not they're going to live for God or whether they're going to live for themselves and the devil are the friends that they've got. No doubt there are some of you here tonight who've got some people in your life that are pulling you away from God and not towards God. And you, you and God need to evaluate who and what those people are and how deeply they should be able to influence you. Amen. Your friends matter. When the children of Judah were being carried away from the land of, Israel, land of Judah and they were being carried into Babylon, they brought up a young man. He was just a kid just like you, just a young boy, and his name was Daniel. And the Bible says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. That Daniel said, I, I don't care what they do to me. I don't care what the end will be. I am not going to defile myself in this defiled culture that I'm going to. And you young people are living in a defiled culture. As bad or worse than what Daniel had to go into. But Daniel had a couple friends. 
And when Daniel took a stand, they took a stand, and they were an encouragement one to another. Let me say, you ought to find the kind of people that encourage you to defend your positions in the Lord. You ought to find those people who, who come behind you and support you in the work of God. You ought to find those people that inspire you to be a better Christian. You ought to find those kind of people, and you ought to encourage them, and they ought to encourage you. Daniel had the right kind of friends, and they, they all took a stand. When later on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be cast into a fiery furnace, they were the only three, Daniel I don't believe was in the locale when this charge and command was given, but they were only three. When everybody else bowed, they were the only three standing out. Let me tell you something. If you don't bow to the world's music and the world's fleshly desires and the, and the world's whims, you are going to stand out like a sore thumb, and that's okay. Because the world sees you, but God sees you too. It's a good thing to stand out. It's, you just determine this in your heart. It's a good thing to stand out. When you look different than the world, it's a good thing to stand out. When you don't know what they're talking about with their crude, vile jokes, and you don't know what that means, that's a good thing to stand out. When you, when you don't know what movie they, they're, talk, they're quoting some movie, and you're not up on all the local jargon, that's a good thing to stand out. And these three boys stood out. And I think when all the crowd went down, there's probably just a common motion of everybody going forward. And most of the young people in youth groups today would bow to that golden image when the music started. But when all that pressure came to move forward and they stood up, I think they found a little courage by the guy that was standing on the right side and the left side of them. You better get someone like that on the right side and the left side of you. Now, you can stand for God without them, but it'll help you if you find some friends who love Jesus. It'll help you if you find some friends who aren't up on all the local modern phrases and terms and music. Find the right kind of friends because they'll encourage you. So many years before Daniel lived, a king's son lived in Jerusalem. He lived where the tabernacle of God had been pitched. He lived where God Himself spoke through priests and through the ephod and the Urim and the Thummim. He had access to the power of God, but He never accessed it. His name was Amnon. And he fell in lust, fleshly lust, after his half-sister, Tamar. But the Bible says, but he thought it hard for him to do anything under her because he was, she was his sister. Socially, it would have been an awkward thing, but he felt a lust, not loving her, he felt lusting after her. And he would not have done anything to that young girl except the Bible says, but he had a friend. He had a friend that influenced him to do wrong. Let me tell you something, if you've got a friend, doesn't matter whether they're online present friend, doesn't matter whether they're in your church friend, doesn't matter whether they're at your school friend or in your neighborhood friend, if you've got a friend that would encourage you to do wrong, you, you, you are in a dangerous spot. And how long are you going to halt between two opinions, letting somebody pull you away from God? What you need is somebody who will pull you towards God. What you need is some people that help encourage you. How long halt you between two opinions? Right, bow our heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.